0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, and Bibles are going to be distributed as you are, um, as the ushers are coming down. If you'd like a Bible to take home with you, you can take that home if you just didn't bring your Bible today um, and want to follow along, encourage you to do that. Always encourage you, I'm going to do this every Sunday until everyone brings it and then I don't have to bring. But then we'll have new people and they won't know how to bring their Bibles. So I'm going to just keep repeating it. Bring your Bibles and, uh, and uh, encourage you to take notes, write things down. I'm going give, to give you some nuggets today and uh, encourage you to take, write those down, think about it and, and allow God to do a work in your life um, throughout the course of this week. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll be uh, reading there in just a moment or two but I want to start out by asking you a question what is your pursuit in life what are you pursuing in your heart of hearts what are you pursuing I know as, as Christians, we will oftentimes will say, Jesus, because that's the right answer that we are supposed to say, you know, and so the right answer is Jesus, and yet I wonder if we were to actually peel back the layers and get to the heart of heart of each one of us, what it would be that we, what is it that we are truly seeking, is it comfort? We're living our lives for comfort. We just want to, you know, just have some comfort and ease in life. And so we're, we're working towards that. We're hoping towards that. Or is it pleasure? I want to have a good time. I'm here for a good time, not necessarily a long time, you know. And, and wherever I can go and I can have some thrills and spills and, and uh, you know, just to, to fill me up a little bit, I'm going to go for, for pleasure. The good old times, lots of laugh. lots of good times. Maybe it's a good reputation, our pursuit is. We, we, we want to look good in front of others. We want to do well. We, we want to be thought well of, you know, in our work, in our career. Um, we, we want people to, to, to take a look and say, wow, is that person ever amazing? Look at the kind of worker they are. Look at the kind of parent they are. And, and as parents and grandparents, you know, we want that same kind of thing. Look at our kids. Look at how, you know, and we work and we can strive to, to have, you know, just the right look when it comes to that kind of thing. That can be our pursuit, you know, that, of that good reputation that people would think, wow, that, if that person is something else. They are amazing. You know, um, you know maybe it's the pursuit of success, we want to climb the ladder. We want to be successful. We want to do well, and you know whether that's in our career, in our education. We want to get good marks. Maybe it's in sports or whatever kind of achievements. Just want to climb the ladder of success. Want to do well. Maybe it's accumulating stuff. I want to have nice house, car. I want to have the boat. I want to have the jet skis. I want to have the big white pass. I want to have this and that and all of these different things because then you know what? That's my pursuit. These are oftentimes the competing pursuits that that we can have, and 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 we get our eyes on those kind of things, you know, And but one of the great dangers is you, is you can climb the ladders that I've been talking about, the ladder of success, that ladder that keeps going and, and you, you finally get there and then you find out that your ladder was leaning up against the wrong wall and there's still emptiness and it didn't promise you the, the joy or the satisfaction that you thought that it would. And you see, you need to know that every pursuit that we chase here on this earth, and it may be a lifelong pursuit, or it may be a short-term pursuit, but anything that we pursue will come up short. If it's about our glory and not God's glory, it will come up short. What's gonna be your pursuit this Christmas? We're already in the midst of the silly season, the craziness, the traffic, the the the, the traffic jams hearing of websites crashing on, on Cyber Monday because of all of the people you know, I just wanna get to Christmas. That's, that's my goal. Make it to Christmas. Get through with Christmas Day and then the Boxing Day. Got to get a few, you know what, deals and specials. And then I just want to relax. I just want to, you know, have a little downtime, you know. And, and, and it's going to be crazy until then. Get on, hold on, kind of shut up kids. Let's keep moving, you know. We, we got to keep pressing on. And it's got to happen. And what is it this Christmas that you are pursuing? Just having, you know, certain family together and a, and a certain kind of aura in the room or whatever it might be. What are we pursuing this Christmas season? We want to get the right gift. Make sure that everyone is happy. And, and, and for a lot of men, will rest a lot easier knowing that they have the right gift under the tree for their wife. I mean, there could be sleepless nights or some sweating moments, you know, that come right down to the 24th, you know, before the store is closed. Got to get that right thing for my wife because we want that happy Christmas, right? And um, so what's your pursuit this Christmas? Maybe in Get away from the shallowness of the season. Maybe it's, you just wish you could have freedom. Freedom from loneliness or from hurt or from addiction. Or relief. Relief from the battle that, that you're in. Maybe it's a battle with someone, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's at work, maybe it's with a neighbor and there's just this battle and it just kind of gets you up and it gets you going and and, and it's led to anger and it leads to bitterness and unforgiveness. You just want to have relief from that because it's just going through your head and it's driving you crazy. Maybe it's relief from the terror in our world. Our world is living in massive fear, people that were walking in the malls, they're walking by them, we're walking past them, there is great fear in our world, in, in our society because of what's going on in our world and the California shootings this week did not help at all in restoring any peace and calm. In Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to be reading here this morning, it was into a despairing world where people were pursuing other things and not pursuing God. It was in a despairing, messed up world that a promise came, a promise that would change our lives, that would change society. The word of God would be spoken that would transform and change people. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, the prayer that that I have for each one of us is that this Christmas season, over the next number of weeks, with a reckless abandonment, we would pursue the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Like Paul said in Philippians, that I may know Christ. Oh, that I would know Christ in a greater and a greater way in my life. That we ourselves would decrease and Christ would increase that we would find Jesus Christ better than anything else, stronger than any foe, stronger than any fear. And here's something I would love for you to get in your heads and for you to write down on, on your connection card or in your journal. He will make a way. Write it down. He will make a way. Repeat it with me. He will make a way. Okay, repeat it with me, like for real, like I wasn't just joking. Say it, come on. He will make a way. A little louder. He will make a way. Get that through your heads. Our God will make a way. Through the battles, through the storms, through the fears, through the struggles, He will make a way if we trust Him. It's not an automatic. It's if we trust, if we believe. And so we see here in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that a promise is made in the midst of chaos. Today, in the midst of chaos that you might be facing in your life, the uncertainty you might be facing, I want to give you the promise of God that he gave to us um, centuries ago that ring true for today. You see, in the Old Testament, there are at least 322 prophecies about Jesus. And so we see these prophecies, and, and some of them are, are very direct, some of them are a little more indirect. And, and, but 65 of them, of the 322, are very direct messianic pro- prophecies, talking about this Jesus, the Messiah that would be born. And they give very specific details about his life, about his birth, where he would be born. And we talk about his life, his death, how he would die, all prophesied hundreds of years before The birth even took place. And the passage in Isaiah chapter 9 was written at least 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And yet these words into a world of chaos offered incredible hope for the people. And it's one of the most amazing descriptions that we get here about what Jesus would be like and what his purpose would be here on this earth. And so reading in Isaiah chapter 9 starting at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide up the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born... To us the son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, um, he will reign on the throne of David, his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what's going on here? There's some confusing. There's some stuff here that you're going like, okay, I don't quite understand. I mean, there's there's the beautiful verses in there, and and we might recognize them. We see them on Christmas cards, we hear them in in, in scripture readings at at Christmas time. You know, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I remember the first as a as a young pastor in Alberta, our first number of Christmas Eve services, you would blacken the whole place, it would be as pitch dark as as possible, and the scripture reading would start out. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and boom, the light comes on. It's just, it's just such a glorious way in verse 2 there. just, yeah. You know, and then we move down to verse 6. We kind of have to skip over those other ones because it's like, what in the world is that talking about? You know, in verse 6, then, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We know that. We like it. It's just, you know, it's so Christmas cardy y and, and, and it's just so wonderful. Sweet verses full of meaning. But what's really going on? Let's just peel it back a little bit. What's going on in these verses? What's going on in the verses prior to this? Well, as I already mentioned, it was a time of confusion for the people people. Confusion and fear. Today are we living with confusion and fear? I, I, I would think so. Right now we're facing what? The Syrian crisis? And, and now with these shootings in California, not adding to that at all whatsoever, just seeing possibly Muslims who have been radicalized and, and uh, who have been living here in North America. And so there's great fear and confusion in our world. Well, in the same way, they weren't suffering from the Syrian crisis, they were suffering from the Assyrian crisis. Something very kind of similar going on here. And King Ahaz, okay, so get this right. King Ahaz, he was the king of Judah, the Jewish king in Jerusalem. And he and his nation were worried to death. Because from all over, it seemed that they were under attack and they were in trouble. First of all, there was the northern kingdom of Israel that they were not getting along with. And the Syrians were Okay, that's just the Syrians and the Northern army were joining forces, and they were talking about coming, and and they even came right to him and said, "We're th- we're thinking about attacking you and taking you over." And he's like, no, "I'm not really a fan of that. Not not excited about that." But then there was the Assyrians who also lived up in the north, and they were this mounting, uh, this building, mounting kind of um, country, and they were gathering steam and and different things, and and so they were becoming pretty powerful, and and so. King Ahaz is thinking, let's go. Why don't I form an alliance with them? Why don't I pay them to come help protect me and help us out? And he even gave them money from from the temple. He gave them gold and said, okay, come and protect me. Come and help me because we're in trouble. And God told King Ahaz. I mean, this is amazing. You can look in in Isaiah 7. Uh, great verse here. Underline it because it pertains to us today. And, and, and God told Isaiah, go tell this to, to, to King Ahaz. And so, so he says to him in chapter 7, verse 4, he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that a great reference? I mean, I mean, this seems like a huge problem for King Ahaz, and God says, don't worry. Don't fear; these are just smoldering stumps. What's your smoldering stump? What's the smoldering stump that's causing you fear, anxiety, wondering how is I, how am I ever going to get through this? What is the future going to look like for my children, for my grandchildren? What is, what is my financial future, my health future? What's it all? Is it a, God? God calls it a smoldering stump, huge to King Ahaz, and. God refers it to it as these smoldering stumps. They're nothing. And he tells him, I'll protect you. Trust me. Just trust me for crying out loud. I'll protect you. Probably didn't say for crying out loud. That's you know, a little more human kind of you know, statement in there. But King Ahaz, he's not so sure if he can trust God. You know, I've got to come up with a bit of a backup plan. You know, and, and he didn't reject God outright. And he just didn't trust God. He ended up making the alliance with the Assyrians and, and uh, becoming, and, and as they were becoming, you know, a, a powerful threat. And so thought, you can't beat them, might as well join them. And, and, you know, just in case God doesn't come through, I'm just covering the basis. And are we ever like that? We know what God words, God's word says. We know these truths. We know that we are to trust them, and yet we kind of think we need to help them out a little bit. You see, here, listen to this, and encourage you to listen to this. You may even want to write this down. The greatest threat we will face is not our rejecting of God, but in our supplementing of God. We've got to help God out a bit because He needs us, right? And just in case He doesn't come through, I've I, I got to have a bit of a safety net here. And so, I mean, and that's the story of God's people all throughout. Remember Abraham in, in Genesis 18? God says, "You and 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 your wife Sarah, you're going to have a child. And even though you're older than dirt, you know, like you are still going to have, you know, there's going to be offspring. It's going to happen, even though she had been barren for all of these years. And so they figured, well, you know what? I, this is supposed to happen, but it, it's not. And, and we're getting so old, and and uh, and so." They devise a plan for him to, to sleep with one of his servants and and uh, and they have a son together, Ishmael. And and later on God did fulfill the promise that Isaac was born, and, and the promise that God made held true. But they felt they needed to supplement. They weren't rejecting God, they just figured they need to supplement and help God out a little bit. That compromise, that sin, is being felt, the the if you want to call it sort of the the effect of that sin is being felt even today. Muslims today are from, that, from the descendants of Ishmael. And you see the l- lineage of what has taken place throughout human history. You see, Muslims believe that the promised son of Abraham in Genesis wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael. They believe that. And so they are very firm that, that they are right in what they are doing. You see, we do the same kind of thing, though, today that Abraham... And Sarah did. We, we don't reject God outright. We just supplement Him rather than trust Him. You see, we don't trust God to provide for us financially, so we don't give to Him. It's like, how can I give to Him? How can I give to, to, to the work of God? How can I tithe? How can I give sacrificially when I'm not even making it on my own? That's a lack of trust in God. Or... We don't trust him to provide financially for us and so we go into debt and we get further and further into, into personal debt and, and we end up handcuffing ourselves in major ways. We're lonely, desiring relationship and, and so we compromise. We know what God's word says when it comes to relationships and how we are to conduct them and who we are to have them with but you know I think it's okay. I think I can kind of supplement, kind of walk away a little bit from God's word in this area in my life and you know because after all I, I you know what? I know this person and, and, and I have these feelings and, and, and I can't deny what's on the inside and, and all of this. And yes, I know God's word says this, but I'm gonna do it anyways. And we justify it and say we're missionary dating or whatever it might be. And, and, uh, or we're hurt or we're angry about our past and so we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness rather than trusting God and, and f- forgiving, putting it under the blood of Christ. We're not happy where we're at in in an area in our life, we're kind of dissatisfied, and instead of running and turning to God and his word, we run to other things. We pursue other pleasures. What area might you be supplementing God in in your life today? Are there areas of compromise? You see, supplementing God is a rejection of God, and he takes that personally. That's a sin against God. Basically, what we're saying, we are God. I'm setting myself up as the God. God. I cannot trust God. I need to trust myself. And that's dangerous. Prayerlessness. That's a great, great way that we show we don't trust God. Too busy to pray. What, what, what's prayer going to do it? Prayer ignites the power of God in our lives. And so we need to be people of prayer, casting all our cares upon him, coming before him in humility, coming before him, just plead, God, I can't, but you can, coming into spending time in the word of God and being strengthened on a daily basis, rather than just running on our own energy, just thinking that energy drinks and coffee will get us through. It won't. You see, the unbelief, that compromise, it led to disaster for King Ahaz. Instead of turning to God, he ended up turning to, to mediums and to, to, um, to fortune tellers. And in the end, the Assyrians came, wiped them all out completely, took over, took, took over everyone, took them into exile. And as chapter 8 comes to an end, we see... He, Have you ever seen, I I don't know, I have a a picture in my mind of, it's it's a black and white picture in my mind of of a few people just walking around and the steam is kind of rising because there was just a total devastation of houses of the city or whatever. And, And you just see some people just wandering around wanting to pick up the pieces. Do you have a picture of that in your mind of what that can look like? Well, that's what was going on here. It was just doom, gloom, anguish, hopelessness. That's how chapter 8 ends and I love how chapter 9 starts because the thing that we see in the midst of the fear and the confusion that's going on, no matter how much we have messed up, no matter what kind of mess our lives are in, even today as it was even uh, centuries ago for, for the people here in Isaiah's day, listen to this, the promised one offers hope. In the midst of the fear and the confusion and the desolation, the promised one offers hope. God speaks. He will make a way. And he promised it here at the start of Isaiah 9. He will make a way in the same way he will make a way in your life. He will make a way through the mess that we see in our world today. You see, Verse 1 there starts with the word, but. But a better translation should say, nevertheless. Nevertheless, all that stuff that's happened in the last few chapters, the gloom, the doom, the devastation, all that has happened, in the way now you're just left picking up the pieces. Nevertheless, all of that, there's good news. There's good news because the promised one, the Messiah, Jesus, he's coming. He has not abandoned you no matter the mistakes that we've made, no matter what we have done, there is hope in Jesus. He will make a way. Look at in verse one, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. You see, Zebulun and Naphtali, I mean, they're kind of foreign words to us, but they were tribes in Israel, ancient tribes, and, um, and, and they were some of the first ones to be invaded by the Assyrians. As the Assyrians are coming in, they come in and they take out these ones early on. These are the ones left in total devastation and in ruins. And Isaiah is saying, all that's been destroyed and the, and, and the destruction that has happened it's going to turn into gloriousness. It's going to turn into beauty. What was once looking awful is now becoming beautiful. So, and, and, and he's stating it as, as a fact. Centuries later, this is so cool, that region was no longer called after those tribes. You know what that region was called? Galilee. And that would be the place that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would walk among the people. And he would heal the sick and he would raise the dead and he would feed the thousands. And and he would calm the sea. He would cast out demons. What was once destroyed is now becoming beautiful. Messiah, the king, has come and he's making all things beautiful. What once was desolate is now being transformed by the beauty of Jesus. And he does the same today. He will make a way. That's what we're learning in Heart Resurgence, all those that are going through that on a weekly basis. How God even takes our suffering and our disappointments and how they can be turned into glorious, glorious opportunities for God to be worshipped. And for us to see what God can do through those things. Sometimes the Lord lets things get worse, we were hearing this past week. So he can make us better. Sometimes God makes, us work, makes circumstances worse in our lives. So we can come out like gold. He has a plan. But how we need to keep trusting. Problem is, we start supplementing instead of trusting. We need to keep holding on to the promises of God's word. That's why we need brothers and sisters walking with us, encouraging us, sometimes challenging us, and sometimes... Us a little on the hind end. Come on, keep going. Don't quit. Keep trusting. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not only does Jesus, the Promised One, offer hope, but second of all, we see the Promised One brings the joy. He's bringing the joy, verse 3. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. As a farmer growing up, spending the time on, on our family farm in the summer times in Saskatchewan, there was no greater joy when we'd get the phone call. Usually school had already started by this time, and we'd get the phone call in Regina, where we were living, down in the Weyburn area where my dad's farm was, and, and he'd phone and say, we finished up last night. We brought the combine home, the harvest is done. And it's like, yes, we can kind of, whoo, you know what, for another year. You know, the old machine isn't breaking down, the weather's cooperated. we got it done, whoo. You know, and there's a joy that happens that only probably a farmer can experience when the harvest is done and it's been a great harvest and, and it's just like, yes, this is wonderful. And, and there's a joy and there's just this satisfaction and a thankfulness that happens. Well, this is what's taking place here. That joy is restored, that the promised one brings the joy. What did the angel say in, in Luke chapter 2? I bring you good news of great joy. The promised one is bringing the joy. Jesus brings the joy. You see, one thing you have to understand about Old Testament language and and about this prophecy that we see here, it says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. He's saying this when they're actually in ruins. He's saying this when it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. When Isaiah was speaking and and writing this, it, it was... It was more about subtraction going on rather than this multiplication about this, you know what, a multiplied nation and increased joy and, and, and the spoils of harvest. Instead, they're seeing the spoils, the ugliness of, of war and devastation. They're in sorrow and confusion. But, but listen to this. This is in Hebrew, in Hebrew language. This is called the prophetic perfect. This is beautiful. This is called the prophetic perfect because what is being prophesied here is so spot on, is so perfect, so certain, it's referred to in the past tense. It's already happened. Even though it hadn't happened yet and wouldn't happen for hundreds of years and won't reach its full completion until Christ returns and, and everything is turned into God's glory, it's already stayed in the past tense. It's done. Why? Books written, chapters are closed, don't need any more. It ends well. It ends well for Christ. It ends well for those who are in Christ. The last chapter has been written. Victory. And so, even in this prophecy, we see it's a done deal. Folks, just trust, just believe. See, our God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is where true joy is found. This is where joy happens that, that even though it's tough, even though it's hard, we know that in the end there's victory and that gives us a joy that passes all understanding. Exceedingly good joy. At Christmas times when... Christmas celebrations start to happen and families or friends are getting together and especially if it's for kind of the big family event, you know, usually this is what happens and and I think I'm probably finding some, you know what, um, you know what, just some of you who will back me up on this, you start saying, okay, so who's going to bring what? Who's going to do that? You know, and so, you know, like, well, grandma has to cook the turkey. She cooks the turkey and her stuffing is the best. But who's going to bring the other stuff? And so they start divvying it out, you know. Who's going to bring the mashed potatoes? Oh, don't get Aunt Mary to bring the mashed potatoes. They were kind of lumpy last year. So let's Let's get, you know, and, and, and to Annie to, to, to bring the mashed potato, But we'll get her to bring a salad. And who's going to bring the dessert? And who's going to, you know, and, and you farm out. And oh, who's going to bring all the little bacon? Oh, she just makes the best. You know, and, and so you go on and on. You get it all figured out. And you figure out who's, who's bringing what. And, and it's all planned out where it's going to be. The time, you know, all of these details. But one question is, who's going to bring the joy? You ever think about that? Who's going to bring the joy? You see, we think that if we do all of these things and throw all of these things together, that it's just going to be a joyous experience. And in some degree, yes, it will, but it's going to fall short. Who's going to bring Jesus? Who's going to bring Christ into your celebration? I encourage you this Christmas season that before you start ripping open the presents or after you've eaten the meal, you know, can't do it because, you know, turkey gets cold and the gravy, you know, gets lumpy and different things like that. But at the end of the meal or take time talk about Jesus. Take time. You say, but I've, I've got relatives who, who don't believe. You know, it's not going to go over very well. You're celebrating Christmas for crying out loud. Celebrate them, right? Just take time. And just say, hey, let's read the Christmas story from Luke 2. Let's just read a little segment here. Let's talk about things that we're thankful for. Let's pray. And depending on, on the family circle that you're a part of, You figure it out. Don't turn it into some whole big spiritual hour if if it's, you know, in in a church service, and an altar call, unless you feel called to do that. But bring Jesus into it. Bring the joy. Just don't bring the mashed potatoes. Bring Jesus. Bring his love, his humility, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. You're going to need that this Christmas season because people will drive you nuts. You will drive other people nuts, and they need to bring Jesus into that situation as well. So bring Jesus. Bring the joy. We have joy in Jesus. That is where true joy. The Bible contains hundreds of verses referencing our joy as God's people. And if you don't have joy today, maybe don't have Jesus. Not saying that, that we won't have bad days. Yeah, we're all going to have bad days. That's a guarantee in God's word. And I'm not talking about walking around with some fake perma-smile, you know, kind of, you know, smile, you know, just happy in Jesus. And on the inside, you're just not thinking that at all whatsoever. You're thinking very much the opposite. But if you don't have joy today, you're struggling with the aspect of what's going on in your life and, and there isn't the joy. you got to look at that. If you're miserable, that there's something wrong because... Jesus brings the joy in all things. I read this statement this week. It's based out of Matthew 6, 33. It says, if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, whatever else you're seeking first is idolatry. And if we're seeking other things other than Jesus and it's idolatry, it is not going to fill us with the joy that Jesus brings. And you will end up lacking joy. Take time and consider what Christ has done. This week at Heart Resurgence, and as we were worshiping, even before we got into the study part, we were singing the song we're gonna sing in closing here a little later on. And and the statement just got just just nailed me. It was just what I what I needed to hear from, from from God's word and just the truth that that this is. God is with us. God is on our side, He will make a way. That is to fill us with joy, not in our circumstances, but joy that God will make a way. He is with us. He is for us. He's on our side. And so we need to worship him, getting our eyes into the word of God and and seeing Christ for who he is. That's why we need other believers reminding us, loving us, challenging us, encouraging us. Today, if you're struggling with the joy factor in your life, that's your problem. Get on your knees before God. God. And ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Start worshiping him. Claiming the promises in his word. Thirdly, the promised one relieves suffering. In verses 4 and 5, we see every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The coming Messiah would relieve suffering of persecution. Suffering of burdens. Emotionally and physically. This is what the promised one brings. You see, the first advent, Jesus coming... As a baby, born in Bethlehem, as was promised, as was prophesied. Jesus came to defeat death by dying on the cross. You see, our primary problem is sin. We have a lot of other problems, but it all flows out of the sin that has separated us from God. The first advent was to bring relief from our sins. And that's what the cross did. But the second advent, when Christ comes again which could be at any time, will bring relief from all sorrow and all suffering. The primary was dealt with at the first advent when Christ came to earth and when he died on the cross. And at the second advent, all suffering, all sorrow will be gone. Justice will be served. And right now we're waiting. Just as they were waiting seven, eight hundred years before the birth of Christ, they were waiting... They were to be trusting, waiting, trusting, waiting, trusting, believing he will make a way. Folks, don't abort what God is doing in you by refusing to wait. We want to rush things up so oftentimes. Listen to this. God's word gives the promise of ultimate fulfillment in the future. But what we get in the present is Jesus. Ultimate fulfillment. Ultimate joy in the future. But right now, we have Jesus and that is enough. We were singing earlier, Christ is enough. Fourthly, the promised one inspires awe. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the Messiah would not come as a a mighty conquering king, but he'd come quietly in humility. He would serve, he would love, he would heal. And he would die for all. You see, folks, that is awesome. In humility. He would serve the lowly of the lowly. The people that wouldn't be touched because they were dirty and unclean, Jesus touched. He healed them. He spent time with the down and the outers. That is awesome when you think the mighty God of the universe. Coming in human flesh, being born in a lowly stable. Living amongst normal, everyday human beings, and yet was without sin. He would serve and love and heal and forgive. The government would be upon his shoulders, meaning he carries the weight of the world. He's the one carrying it. You know what? Scripture refers to us as sheep. He's the, sh- the shepherd. The government is upon his shoulders. You know what? One thing about sheep Not only are they not the most brilliant of animals, thank you that we're called that, but uh, I guess it's true, sometimes we're not very brilliant, but sheep are not weight-bearing animals. You don't see them being used in the mines to haul out coal, you don't see them, you know what, putting a a saddle on them and giving them a ride, you know, I mean, you go to a rodeo and it's pretty cute, you see kids get on these little, what do they call that, Um, some competition, does anyone know what it's called? They they call them... uh, they don't call them little lambs. they call them something muff. what's the word? Pardon? Mutton. Yeah, and these little mutton rides, these kids get on there and they just grab, grab the wool and, and they get on there. and those, those sheep I mean, they do anything, they just woo, take off and those kids fall off and everyone laughs, and it's hilarious kind of thing. Sheep are not made to, to bear any weight. Why? The shepherd, that's his job is to, to care for, to watch over. The government will be upon his shoulders. Everything is on God's shoulders. We're sheep. We're not to be carrying the weight that we're carrying. This is so beautiful that we see. Wonderful counselor. Now get this. This is pretty cool. Okay. The word wonderful, word wonderful, okay. It means awesome. It means wondrous. It means awe-inspiring. Okay? So so word wonderful, that's what it means. Park that in your brain. The next word, counselor. So he's a wonderful counselor. All right? All right. What is a counselor? Well, a help, a guide, someone you go to in trials, in tru- troubles. And here's something really significant in, in just the way that these words are put together. The way that God helps us the most, the way that he counsels us, the way that he counsels us the best is when we see how awesome and how wonderful he is. It's what the book that we've been going through in, in Heart Resurgence that, that we have available here, Look and Live, Get your eyes on Jesus. There you will find help. There you will find counsel. Why? Because he is so wonderful. Gazing upon his beauty. And as we consider the awesomeness of Jesus, he redefines. um, He redefines, doesn't take away, but he redefines our problems. And we see it in light of his glory. We see it in light of what he can do in and through it. Mighty God, we see another description here. Jesus would be the one that would calm the storms, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hundreds, the thousands. His mightiness, however, just wasn't in in what he did, in the miracles that he did. His greatest act of mightiness was coming to this earth, becoming a man, dying on the cross to save us. Everlasting Father, with all of the compassion, love, protection that comes from our God Remember, God is not the face of your earthly father. Remember that. God is not the face. Jesus is not the face of your earthly father. We have good fathers here on this earth, but every, even the best father has fallen short because he's a sinner. And some fathers have fallen very short and have done harmful and hurtful things, sometimes knowingly and sometimes not even aware of what they have done. God is not the face of your father. He is the loving, everlasting father. He is perfect in all his ways. He's perfect in his love for us. He's the everlasting father. And then finally we see he's the prince of peace. He provides freedom from worry and from anxiety. and He's the prince of peace. This description here that we see in this just inspires awe. The prince of peace. The promised one that provides, fifthly, the last thing we see here, the promised one that provides security. Verse 7 of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There will be no end to his kingdom. In Christ, our future is secure through disaster. Through gloom and doom all around, whatever it is that we are facing, that huge mountain that is before us, God will make a way. If God is for us, who can be against us? That is truth from his word. And so in the meantime, we can have confidence in God and in his word. We wait patiently for him. These people needed to wait patiently and trust the word of God in the same way we need to trust and wait patiently, finding joy in his presence, worshiping him, turning our eyes upon him. And it says the zeal of the Lord will do this. You see, in our world we have a lot of people who are very zealous for certain things. Whether it's, it's what we're pursuing, right? I mean, what we were talking about before. You see people who are very zealous, who are are very into their work or into their fitness or into sports or or some cause and, 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 and just, you know, just so amped up and just ready to go do anything for it. Well, greater than any zeal that we could ever have, the zeal of God, the zeal of God in sending his son was awesome. It was amazing to suffer a brutal death on the cross for you and for I. That is zeal. Do you know him this morning? Have you trusted him in this way? Or are you supplementing him? You're trusting him, yeah, kind of, but you know what, I've kind of got to white knuckle this, I've got to kind of get through this, or are you resting in the promises of his word? As we close here this morning, I want to ask you, what are some of the smoldering stumps in your life? Right now, they may seem like Towering timbers that just seem impossible. God sees them as smoldering stumps. What are those things that you are facing? Turn them over to him. Trust God. What are you running to or who are you running to for joy? What are you supplementing for Jesus? In the fullness of time, he will come. He will make a way in the situation that you're facing as you trust him, as you follow him, as you continue to worship him, as you call out to him and surrender. In the fullness of time, it will happen. But in the present and for today, we have Jesus and he is more than enough. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we... First of all, we repent that we have followed our own way. We've supplemented you. We've pursued other things over and above you. We've lost hope, even at times of lost faith, that you could or you will protect us and watch over us and provide for us pray that with hearts of repentance we would turn to you and surrender and even in this song that this would be a song that we would sing of declaration for whatever it is that we're facing and and if things are going well today may we rejoice and just say thank you for your faithfulness god for us for me for my life in the past and a declaration that when the storm hits that we're going to put our faith and our trust in you May we sing this song in worship and declare it in our world, here in our city, in this region that we live in and, and, and around the world And because Jesus is the one who brings the hope. He's the one that, that brings the joy. He's the one that can carry the weight on his shoulders and they're big enough. In closing, I want to give you these verses. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these smoldering stumps, he will make a way. I pray that we would indeed trust you in this, Jesus.